This is a Neil Prendeville Show production for Cork's Red FM. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. The following episode contains sensitive content. Listener discretion is advised. Jamie Nagel got on stage one day and he forgot to get off. I was besotted with him. He was the love of my life. We had this magical wedding coming up. Like, my life was perfect. And as the saying goes, if something is too good to be true, it probably is. And it was. When I was wiping my own blood off the wall, I was literally looking at it going, this is not okay. This is a story about love and trust gone wrong. I'm trying to tell a toddler that her father is gone. I didn't think I'd ever had to do. I'm Jamie Nagel. I was born in 1993, and then everything went to. Jamie used to always say to me, "You couldn't make it up. You couldn't make this up." Previously, when we got to London, Aaron got arrested. He always needed money. Like he had 20 bank cards from every single bank. Like he always needed money. Like, I've gone to the point where I can't lift my daughter into her class because I'm in so much pain. He was talking to all these people, and I'm getting really, really peed off. Like, I, I want to speak to him. Kathleen is suspicious that she can never get in touch with all of these people in person. Then stardom beckons for Jamie, but the penny is beginning to drop for Kathleen. But a little bit, I suppose, before that, a little bit within these few days, um... Jamie had been working on a building where there was like a TV production company running out of, so they had studios and stuff like that. Somehow Jamie got talking to one of the managers in there and they are actually like the, the management company that deal with Graham Norton, Jimmy Carr, Gordon Ramsay, right? all these people. And they took a little shine to Jamie and they started chatting and they realised that he was previously in the kind of performance industry and stuff like that. And they found him very funny. They said his voice was really good for radio. They were auditioning people and they asked him, would they would he jump on the mic really quick and you would say something. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the show. Time is now 8.05 on this beautiful Thursday morning. You're listening to Jamie Nagel with you all the way to 11 o'clock. And he did. And of course, they loved him. He was amazing. Jamie comes into me like beaming from ear to ear. You won't believe what happened. This was a demo. Jamie never made it on air, nor was he ever employed by the radio station WLR. Like, you won't believe what happened. You you, you know, and I was like, what's after happening? And he was like, so what's going to happen now? And he was like, they're going to give me a couple of minutes in the morning at like, but on the very early shows at like 6 a.m. He knew damn well I wouldn't be up at 6 a.m. Right? <laughs> um, they gave him an agent, a fellow by the name of Noah. Um, Jamie said to me, he was like, I'm giving Noah your email because you're dealing with my basically my emails anyway, the admin side. So you'll be able to tell them the scheduling in between the work for Jamal and stuff like that. And I was like, great, another person to add to the list. So this guy Noah starts emailing me and he's like, oh my God, they absolutely love Jamie. He is just made to be in the spotlight. We have a couple of people coming in and out of the studio 
that I'd like him to meet. And I was like, like who? And he was like, oh, um, Graham Norton is in this week and he might get to see him and meet him for a couple of minutes. And I was like, are you joking? Like, And I was saying all this to Jamie. I was like, Jane, no one's saying that. Like, this fella, Graham Norton is in this week and stuff. And he was like, what, really? Oh, my God, you know. So Jay spent the following evenings going to this station to, you know, I don't know, pre-record and do stuff for the morning. And, you know, he was becoming big news in there. Everyone liked him and he was quite funny. And the Jimmy Carr was in there one evening and he managed to meet him for a couple of minutes. And Jimmy Carr took a real shine to Jamie and thought that maybe he might be good on TV. Okay? Yeah. So I was like... Like, literally now, right, at this point, I'm institutionalised, right? I'm in an apartment for weeks on end with a toddler, heavily pregnant, dealing with all distresses, and your man is out living the A-list lifestyle. You're believing all of this, clearly, but are you starting to begrudge it? It's not that I, I begrudged it. I just was like, it was starting to get a bit... There was question marks in my head, but I did believe him. And, like, I was quite happy for him as well, but I was like, okay, but can we just focus on fixing one thing, which would be the finances, and then maybe we can look at becoming famous or something? You know, can we just... Like, it was jumping from one thing to another. And before I knew it anyway... They were. They wanted to sit down and talk to Jamie about his story, about how he became this big businessman, you know, from little old court, and you know how he failed so much in business before, and now he was doing everything right. You know, he was the family man. He was this, and then he was saying to me, "No, I was saying he would be a great motivational speaker," and I was like, "So which is it? Like, is he going to be a radio presenter?" Is he going to be on TV? Or is he going to be a motivational speaker? And then Jamie was coming back to me one evening, right, with business cards made up. Oh, he had a photo shoot as well, which he showed me all the photos of. A professional photo shoot around London of him, because, you know, he was actually, going to be big news. That was actually done, and you saw the photographs. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I still have all those photos. I kept them to remind myself how, how bonkers it was. That's all for today, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Jamie Nagel. I'll be back at the same time tomorrow for more music and fun. So until then, have a good day. So he had all these professional photos and, you know, he, he really was going to be big news. And next minute he comes in with business cards for his, they were going to um, start marketing him as a, you know, um, a kind of a, a motivational speaker slash comedian type. And they were going to potentially put him on a tour with someone else. Did it ever strike you that every every single story along the way had a start, a middle and an end, and then a new story began, and that had a start and a middle and an end? Yeah, they, and it did. And I, like, I used to say to him, I was like, Jamie, what? Like, this can't begin. And then, but you see, you have to remember, like, as I said to you, I, I'm giving you the glazed over version of the story. This is like, you know six weeks of constant, like, you know, bringing stuff home, evidence, bringing in new computers, you know, that these people were giving him. Like, it was, 
it was a real conditioning is what he was doing. Like, and he was just, and he knew as well, right? I'm in this apartment, right? I have no, I have no way out. I have no way to the outside world apart from my phone and what I can find online. Uh, and he knew he could just, you know, feed me all this. But he could see as well that I was kind of starting to grow tired of yeah. it. I really was. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was pretending everything was okay to family back home. But what was really going on behind the scenes is I was literally falling apart. And I wanted nearly these things to be true because I couldn't see a way out of everything. We had no money. We had nothing. The baby was due. I was away from home. I was dying inside. I was literally breaking point at, at this point. So I wanted something to be true. I but really, you know, really you know when I had moved on to comedians and photo shoots and motivational speakers, had the whole business of property development and, you know, the investments with all of the other individuals that we mentioned much earlier, had all that gone now? And No, 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 no. It was very much there in the background because, again, like, we still hadn't even gotten paid from all these jobs from Jamal and everything because there were still issues with our bank account. So on a daily basis, every day, Jamie was spending the morning with his accountant, Greg, and this barrister, Simon, in the courts trying to get all these documents signed and putting them before judges to try and get all of this money released. And then in the evening, he was, you know, a TV personality. It was when I lost my business that I started saying, right, enough is enough, right, I'm I'm done. So I get an email from the girl that was working for me at the time, and I don't blame her in the slightest. I actually feel so sorry for what that girl had to put up with when I was gone without like to be fair to her she didn't even tell me the half of it herself because she didn't want me worrying do you know what I mean Mm. there was people coming in constantly people ringing the phone constantly she was being hounded in my salon for money and she couldn't take the stress anymore numerous people are you saying Kathleen yeah numerous people and she didn't have me there for support she was running the salon by herself a couple of weeks just before Christmas she sent me in her resignation she was leaving as effective immediately and the salon was closing and I was stuck in London. Were they getting nasty with her? I actually don't really know. I never really went into it with her. She was just fed up of what she was putting up with inside there and then, you know, her sister had worked for Jamie as well and she hadn't been paid because again, you know, there was no money there and, you know, for anyone to be paid with. So everyone was just... Fed up of us, you know. It wasn't just Jamie at this point. The girl that worked for me, she was fed up of me, and I—that was my fault because, okay. you know, so, yeah. I ran off to London as well, and you know, thought everything would be fine. Little did I know what was going on at home. Yeah. That day, I lost my business. Was the day I kind of realised that things weren't right. So I was going to be in London for the foreseeable future, and I had nobody to put in her place so I had nobody to work so the shop couldn't stay open Was the penny beginning to drop now or what? I think so yeah and panic set in and the only thing that was keeping us afloat was my business so this was the last of our money When you said to him I have closed my business because of the harassment of my staff member I'm stuck here I have nobody to run it so I'm closing it what did he say to that? Well, I, I think I just, I, I literally broke down to him and I was like, that's it, my business is gone. I was like, and it was the first time I turned around and I said to him, this is all because of you. And he just, I'll never forget, 
the way he looked at me, he looked at me with a very kind of, oh, ah, it'll be okay. That's all he said. Sure, we can start up again. And I lost it. Lost the plot completely. I think I just started throwing makeup around the room. I was just so angry. <laughs> I literally, it was his response that you could absolutely tell he did not care. He hadn't an emotion. There wasn't a single emotion on his face at this point. And he knew that business. I loved it. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. And I actually really did care about the girl that worked for me as well. You and know, it was she, a she was, thriving business. Yeah, yeah. It was thriving, you know, and I was absolutely gutted. But I, not only that, I knew that was the end of our finances. So we would have nothing. And I mean, nothing. There was a couple of hundred euros left in the account. I think my mother had loaned us like 2,000 euros going to London just to make sure that we were well covered. And because that's all they could afford. Like my parents didn't have nothing. So that was like their savings. And, you know, I was like, when the money comes in, I'm obviously going to give it back to you. Like, you know, mm. I, I'm going to make your life amazing. Mm. But we had nothing. And that realisation started to hit. So I was like, right, I need to get out of this apartment. I need to leave here. Or I was starting to get really, really, really depressed as well. On top of it all. And I basically said to him one evening that if you don't get me out of this apartment, you're going to find me at the bottom of the pain. I was looking at my daughter locked in an apartment, you know, every day, eating bloody sandwiches out of press that he would bring over at lunchtime. I might as well have been in prison. There was no oven, so Not you could only us, cook yeah. on a hob or a frying pan. But you were ratcheting up a fair bill in that apartment in the hotel, weren't you? Mm-hmm. It ran up to about £12,400, but I did not know that at the time. It was two apartments we had because there was only one bedroom in one so we needed two with our daughter because she couldn't sleep in the same room she was a really light sleeper so we had like one of those you know those joint apartments So did you actually leave there then? Yes so when we left I I did feel that Jamie was really in a hurry all of a sudden we were going out of the apartment right and but he was like this is what you wanted and I was like okay yeah it is but we're going into another apartment you know we're, we're just going into a change of colour of the building, like, you know. So we go into this apartment with this really absolutely miserable part of London across the the bridge from where we were. Like, I would not have walked outside here on my own. Mm. This place looks like slums, like. Yeah. And the apartment was nice. <laughs> but I said, Jamie, I was like, we can't, we couldn't stay in an apartment like this. It's all glass. Everything is glass. Like, our daughter had had spaghetti bolognese for dinner and within 20 minutes, the entire surrounding glass was covered in sauce. It was ridiculous. You would not bring a child into this place. And we had argued that day and something told me that evening, I was like, okay, there's something really, really, really wrong here. And Jamie was very frantic. He was in and out. He looked frazzled. He, he was as white as a ghost. I spent the day crying and I was like, I just, I just want to go home. Like, I, I, I don't want to be here. It was the day before Christmas Eve, 2020. And I rang my mum that morning. I sat inside the bathroom. My daughter was having a nap. 
and I told her, if I don't get out of here today, I am not going to be found alive. I can't deal with this anymore. I have people constantly, constantly in touch with me. People, my business is gone. You know, I'm, I was literally tearing my hair out. I'm stuck in apartments for six weeks. And she basically told him, you need to get her home or we're coming over. Jay came into me one day, this is before he went to London for the three weeks. And he had been sick on and off and he had been to a lot of appointments and consultants again and the headaches had started back. And again, you know, I was very, very worried about him and I made him go to the doctor. You know, he would, you know, we'd be texting each other and he'd send me, he'd send me photographs of being up in, you know, the hospital. He'd have to go up to A&E sometimes because, you know, try and get in for scans or whatever. So he came back one day after being at the hospital or with the consultant who had the results of like some scans he had had. And he sat me down and he was shaking. He had been diagnosed with MS. Kathleen wasn't the only person Jamie told about his multiple sclerosis diagnosis. Here's John again, who was working for Jamie at the time. He just changed overnight. He was grand one day, we were laughing and joking. Then the next day he came to me and said, look, I have something to tell you. I think I have MS. I was like, what are you on about? And he was like, no, no, I don't feel well the last few weeks and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, Jesus, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, I've been with you every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, like, from there on, I was gotten into hospital appointment. I was bawling. I was like, literally, can any more happen? Like, my God. So, you know, the, he was diagnosed with a mess. And I remember saying to him, I was like, Jesus, your parents are going to be devastated. There was a couple of moments where, like, he'd pretend losing the feeling in his fingers I'd have to chop his food for him and this could happen out of the blue or he he wouldn't be able to pick something up or it, it, the guy my my friend's husband he was with him one day and he literally dropped a whole cup of coffee on a laptop you know saying he lost the feeling in his hands and then when he went away for the three weeks he was saying you know that his, his MS was flaring up because of stress and did you ever ask, could you go and meet with the consultant to see if it was rapid onset MS or what the prognosis would be yeah, going so forward? Yeah, so his diagnosis wasn't the severe one. Apparently his was manageable with diet, exercise and, you know, um, basically just managing stress. It wasn't a very severe MS and it probably wouldn't affect him until very late in life. And I remember sitting down one evening and like, Googling it with him in bed, just we were going through it and... You know, I was kind of saying, okay, we need to, you know, you need to eat more green food or, you know, you know, it was like literally trying to go, okay, we need to make sure that this doesn't affect you. But then it did start to affect him a lot. And I was like, we're really affected by it. Like you're losing feeling in your hands. Did you love him at the time this was going on? Did you love him all the way through to this point in the conversation, in the narrative? Yeah. Did I love him? Yeah. I adored him. Okay. I worshipped the ground that he walked on. Okay. And I thought he would be like, he put me on a pedestal. And I actually did with him as well. A lot of the time I did feel like I mothered him. I would have went to the moon and back okay. to try and find a cure for him if I thought I could. I, like, you, anyone that knew me knew that of any person, like any relationship I've ever had in my life, I never loved someone. There weren't no hospital appointments. Like, I thought there were. <laughs> And he was going up sitting in the coffee, just sitting there drinking coffee. And I was waiting outside for him. And 
Oh, it was ridiculous. And, and like, how, how do you know there were no appointments? How do you he know told that me, he... Yeah, he told me last year. He told me that he made it all up. He was under so much stress at home. and oh, It just... It kind of broke me, mummy, because I actually thought he was a very genuine friend, you know? Jamie Nagel is now getting it in the neck from all sides. He's juggling so many stories. Kathleen needs answers and takes matters into her own hands. Literally. But that day, and we say we say just the day prior, the, so the day before Christmas Eve, just the day before that, that was the day that I kind of really snapped. And I said to Jamie, I was like, right, give me your phone. Now, in the entirety of our relationship, not at any point did I ever ask him for his phone, look through his phone. I never had, like, I never, ever didn't trust him. I said, give me your phone. And he said, why? And I was like, because I want to check if you're lying to me. And he said, no. And I was like, give me your phone. I was like, I wasn't even like asking him, I was telling him, give me your phone. If you've nothing to hide, give me your phone. And he was like, obviously there's some conversations in there, you know, that I don't want you to see between me and my mom and stuff like this. I said, I don't care. I won't look at you and your mother's conversations. That's not what I'm looking at. I said, I want to see your, your communications between all these, between Aaron and Greg and Simon and, you know, Jamal and Noah and all this. And he really looked panicked. But whatever happened, like, bearing in mind, I'm heavily pregnant at this point. Mm. I jumped and I grabbed his phone mm. and I shoved it in my pants. <laughs> And I ran towards the bathroom and he jumped on my back and dragged me to the ground, tearing at me. I caught all, I don't even know how, all my fingers were cut. There was blood on the walls and he just tore at me until he got the phone back. And I just, I literally was in shock. I was like, I am pregnant, Jamie. I am heavily pregnant. Are you actually for real? And I got up and I was so angry. I went to get the phone again. I was like, screw you. I'm, I'm taking that phone. And then he was like, no, there is something in it that I don't want you to see. And I was like, what is it? And he was like, I, it's a surprise. And I was like, what? And he was like, I was going to propose to you again. And I was like, ah, stop now. Like, I was literally like, stop it. And he was like, it's true. And I pictured the ring and I didn't want you to see it. <laughs> I was just looking at him going, you absolute fruit loop. Like, you complete fruit loop. I just didn't even, I couldn't even look at him. I couldn't speak to him. We stayed in the apartment that night. Uh, and did your daughter really, witness any of that physical assault? No, no. Thankfully, she was actually in bed. And thankfully, when she sleep, she, you know, she was out cold, like... Because definitely, Jesus, if, if my daughter was there, there's no way I would have even, you know, went down that road with yeah, him. Like, this yeah, was kind of later, okay. later at night. Absolutely not. But um, So now you've seen another I, side, a new side. A new side that I'd never seen before. And this side really scared me. Because this side said to me that I don't know what he's prepared to do. Like, were you now, was this the beginning of you really questioning everything then? Yeah. Okay. This and were you also, the, while questioning everything, wondering about your safety? Yeah, okay. I was. I, I, that, that frightened me. Like, that really frightened me. Like, when I was wiping my own blood off the wall, I was literally looking at it going, this 
this isn't this is not okay. But I kind of calmed things down because I didn't want anything to escalate. And obviously, I was already under enough stress. A couple of times as well during my time in London, when my stress got really high, I actually at one point I ended up having to go to see a consultant at one point because I lost my eyesight for nearly an hour. And I was like, why did my eyesight go? And obviously I had to sit down and I just sat on the couch until like my vision started coming back. But when I went in, he had told me that my blood pressure was absolutely through the roof. And that's why your eyesight would start to, to go. But I could not see. I was bawling crying. I was actually screaming. I was like, I actually can't see. I'm going, I, I, have, I have no idea how you were coping, you know, listening to you and the stories you've been telling, the anxiety, the fear, the stress yeah. levels, the sickness, the... Um, yeah. You know, pregnancy-related stuff that was going on. I have no idea how you kept it together, really. It's... It was like an outer-body experience. I can't even describe it. Like, so, like I'm talking about it to you now, but it doesn't feel like it happened to me, if that makes sense. It, yeah. was, it was conditioning over time, you see. This was working up over time, over time, over four years. You know, he was chipping away at me, chipping away at me, chipping away at me, gaining my trust, gaining my trust, making sure that, you know... You know, but I seemed like I was the forefront of his thoughts at all time. And then, you know, he started dropping these little things in. And then there was London and then it got big. And then next minute we're here, we're in this apartment and I am on the verge of a complete and utter nervous breakdown. You know, my poor daughter is suffering too because our poor child has had no interaction with anyone other than her parents for weeks on end. You know? Yes, of course. And we must look it through her eyes as well. Yeah. And, and your unborn baby was was also at risk and you were worried yeah. about that as well. The morning after, uh, what was that like? So the morning after, he was gone again in the morning and then he was in court. And apparently that morning we found out that on the 4th of January, all the funds were going to be released and it was finally going to be over. How did you get that? And he was like, oh, I saw Greg there earlier. And he gave me a package. I was like, okay. So grand. Um, and then he comes in, he goes, sit down, sit down, sit down. It was a grand. And he turned around to me and he said, um, have going home tonight. We were flying into Belfast, so that was the only, you know, flight we could get. I didn't care. As long as it was Ireland, <laughs> I was heading there. Um, and we'd worry about the details later. So we packed up everything, brought everything to the airport. I practically skipped onto the plane and I think I cried the entire flight home but I never see somebody look as sick as he did he just looked like his life was over and I never forget the look on his face got to Belfast we actually had to get a taxi down the next morning because there was no way no way down it was Christmas Eve and thankfully this lovely taxi driver said he wanted to do a bit of shopping in Cork so he'll pick us up at 6am and bring us down and dropped us to my mother's for Christmas Eve and I nearly fell in the door. Obviously, the toing and throwing was still going back and forth from Greg and Simon and, you know, because we still had to make sure that the money was coming in. And I actually, I didn't even care at this point, I'll be honest. I, I didn't care. I was home. And, you know, once I was home with my family, everything was going to be okay. When we came home, uh, we stayed at my parents for a couple of nights and then... Off we went to this house maybe the day after Thanksgiving Day, up to Douglas, lovely house, really nice estate, really kind of well-to-do area. 4th of January came. That was the morning the money was supposed to be in. Got up, went downstairs, Jamie's sitting at the table and he was like, how we need to talk. 
I was like, what's going on? He was like, I think we've been scammed. I rang my parents and they came up because I was literally, I was like, I, I need I need someone here with me. Like, I, I need someone here. I, I can't be doing this anymore. Like, I just can't do this anymore. And sure, my dad then was just giving out to him. And Jamie went into the bathroom and a few minutes later he came out and he was, I'm going away for a few days. And he just left. And he just left me there. And I was like, you do realise this baby is coming any day now and you're just going to go off because you're being questioned now. And he kept saying, I'm only coming back when I'm a better version of myself. And I was like, dude, there's a baby coming. I am in a house in Douglas that I don't even know. Again, alone with my daughter. Like, you have to come back. Like, it turned out anyway that I was going to be admitted to hospital early because my little boy, like, there was some complications and basically they were worried that I would go into labour. And if I did, that the cord would come down first. So they had to monitor me. So they had to admit me. I had to get a COVID test. I tested positive, so I had to go in. He was never so happy. He literally, and I'm not joking, he packed my bags and ran me out the door to the hospital. And I was like, Jay, like, I'll go tomorrow. Like, I'm not ready yet. I, I'm not ready. I don't, want, I don't want to go into hospital now. Like, I really don't. Like, I've had so much go on. I haven't had a chance to even think or breathe. And now I'm being shoved off again on my own, again, to be left, you know. And I knew I was going to be in hospital because my section was booked. So, like, I knew I was going to be in hospital for at least a week. And obviously nobody could visit me or anything like that. While I was in hospital, though, it did give me a chance to kind of do a little bit of digging. Coming up on You Couldn't Make This Up. I'd asked him for my laptop. He was a bit reluctant to drop it up to me, but when he did, nothing was working. It was just a black screen. It looks like the laptop's been white. Someday that I'm going to make it back to London and I'm going to go back to the bank because I still have all my bank cards. I still have all my bank accounts and somebody has to give me some answers about what transactions, what actually was in the account, what was real, what was fake. The night before I leave hospital on our son, Jamie rings me. He said to me, we have a problem. This is a Neil Prendival Show production for Cork's Red FM.